Lord, I pray for your presence to enter this room. I know that you are here. We know that you are with us. But I pray for your manifest presence, the tangible sense that God is with us, to begin to rest on some of our hearts, Lord. There we go. I thank you, Father, that we do not have to perform for you, that you are a good Father. I thank you that you are with us. I thank you that we can rest in your presence. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, all right, the last two weeks, we've been speaking about identity. And uh, I believe in my heart, I really do with all my heart, we've been speaking about identity. And um, friends, I believe with all my heart, it's one of the greatest issues in this nation. It's one of the greatest issues I find in the world right now, but specifically in this nation. There's an identity crisis that is happening in the church in the West. There really, really is. There's an identity crisis. People don't know who they are. They really don't know who they are. So I have some pictures. If we could show the pictures, some of them are humorous. That is what is going on in the church in many places, because that is not a cow. And then we have that problem too. And the next one, I think many people, if you can pause there, many people feel like that. I know because people come to my office and they sit opposite my desk, and that over there is probably the number one issue. Who am I? What, do I, what am I doing here? My son, my, my little son, uh, Michael, he asked when he was three, he asked this incredible question to Jen. He said, what is my life? Three years old. And Jen's like, are you kidding me? What is my life at three? And I think from early on in childhood, we have this, who am I? What am I doing here? What is going on? And how we allow our identity to be be formed in us is actually extremely important. The problem is that humanism has invaded the church in a big way and made it all about you. So even though there's this absolute dynamic that we have to understand who we are, it's not about you at all. And that dynamic is difficult for people to understand because it's not about you. And that's actually the most freeing thing that anyone can ever say to you. That it's not about you. Because if it was about you, it would be up to you. And if it was up to you, you would be crushed under weight. So it's not about you. Thank goodness it's not about you. Thank goodness it's not about Dwayne. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But it's just not about us. Friends, it just is not. And when we have to understand who we are, only then can we understand that it's not about us. It seems reversed, but it's absolutely true. And I speak to many believers who are under a crushing weight of guilt, sin, shame, but I remember back in the garden, not like I was there, just because I read it in the Bible. I'm not that old. But in the garden, they were both naked before God and they felt no shame before the fall. And yet entire societies, entire races, not being politically correct, but it's the truth. Entire races and entire countries and societies and certain things will struggle with certain areas. They are crippled by shame, crippled by fear, crippled by whatever, all because of what happened at the fall and all because they don't actually know who God says they are. And so we've made it all about ourselves. And that's actually where atheism comes out of. Atheism simply is the worship of self. I am supreme. Yeah? But I have 10% left on my iPad, so 
I better move on. Uh, we need to know who we are, friends. It's not about us. And I'm going to read some things to you because I'm going to try to recap the last two weeks. That's impossible for me. I feel like I could re-preach the last two weeks over and over and over and over and over until it actually sinks in. It's, friends, what I'm talking about, what I've been talking about is so much more than understanding that you're a son. Oh, we're all sons of God. We know that. It's more than that. Because I have a son, and he can know he's my son. He can be secure in my love for him and still have an identity crisis. Yeah? We all see that in children. They know they're loved, they know, but it doesn't necessarily mean they still understand who they are. Sonship is just the beginning. Being a son and understanding that I have a good father and that I'm a son, many people preach sonship and they stop there. Identity is what takes you further into doing what a son does. But we have to come all the way back to Genesis to continually, and you have to remind ourselves again and again and again. And I might say some stuff today that, that discombobulates your thinking. I actually hope that does happen, because that's a form of New Testament repentance. That's, it's a wonderful thing. And we have to come all the way back and adjust our thinking and renew our mind and change the way we think and change what we believe and who we believe God is and what he does and what he does not do. For example, God is not in control of everything. Every time I say that, it throws Christians who've grown up in church all their life. God is not in control of everything. He's in charge, but he's not in control. Because if he was in control of absolutely everything, he is, but he's not. If he was in control in absolutely everything, then why did he ask you to pray? If he's controlled in everything, then every death, every cancer, every accident, everything is his fault. And it's not. He wanted to raise up a company of people on the earth who he calls his children and operate and, and partner with them to bring about his will. So he is in control of the greater plan. Everything will come to an end. Everything that says in scripture will happen. He's absolutely in charge. He's absolutely have all authority, but he wants to work with you. And so what happens is sometimes the doctrine of the sovereignty of God can so disturb us that what and then I pray and nothing happens or I pray and they die or something in my family happens and that doctrine can come to us as of well God is sovereign therefore that's his fault it's one of the chief reasons why we blame God for stuff and why we get offended at God yet he gave you life he gave you breath and so it is an absolutely true doctrine, the sovereignty of God, but unless it's preached, unless it's understood, unless it, people know what that means, we just say it as if everything that happens is up to God. Everything that happens is because of Him. And that is not true, friends. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Wonderful. It helps. Why? Because it, it changes the way we think. So let me read this to you. So many of us read the Bible and we see a chasm, a giant gap between those we see in here and us. Identity closes the gap. That's what closes the gap. It's the number one thing that closes that gap. It brings a close. Obviously, we know it's about Jesus, but that's what brings a close. So I'm going to read some things to you. I'm just going to read for a while so I can get through some stuff. And then we'll go into today. 
identity produces many things in us, but one of the main results, the end result, one of the main things that will actually start to take place in our lives is what? Is evangelism. And that's actually what I've been trying to get for the last three weeks. But as I've been up here preaching and as I've been up here, I'm looking at the response. I'm looking at people and I see it's bringing life to them and I see, oh, we need to go back a little bit more. Oh, we need to go back a little bit more. I've had people come up to me every single week for the last two weeks and say, I've turned their life inside out, upside down by simply preaching the gospel. Because it's, they're not rooted and established in love. I went, to a, I went to a place last week and the gentleman was grilling after, uh, it was after Sunday last week, it was during the week, and this gentleman was grilling and he's just weeping as he grills. And I said, well, I thought it was the smoke in his eyes, to be honest. So discerning, right? And, uh, and so I looked at him and I said, what's the problem? He looked at me, he's crying. He said, I realize I have no idea, no idea who I am. Christian, saved, heaven bound, no clue who he is. It's a very, very big deal. And the end result is evangelism. Why? Because when we are walking around, I am walking around, I am aware of who I am. And when I'm walking around just in life, and I'm aware of who I am, my belief is set. It's set. My belief structure and system is not dictated by tragedy, crisis, or circumstance. And even those things will happen because we live in a fallen world. They don't shift my belief structure. So I'm walking around with an identity, secure, set. This is who I am. This bad thing happens. This is who I am. This bad thing happens. That's who God is. I know who he is. I know who I am. Things are happening. I don't understand. But my belief is set. Hallelujah. Thank you. I've got a yawning. Hallelujah. Okay. But it's not dictated to by my life, friends. We cannot allow our lives to dictate truth to us. I know I've said these things. I'm going to say them over and over and over and over. Because we can aim in here, but when we go home, it's like it goes in, out, and when we go home, nothing actually changes. Change. We've got to hear it and hear it and hear it. We cannot allow our lives to dictate truth to us. Then we're finished. Your word is truth, Jesus said in John 17. I better just read. I'm being badly behaved. So even in the midst of crisis, I'm in him. And he is still good. And the gospel has still made me free from myself. The gospel, I said, sets you free from you. So you can be free from others. The gospel sets me free from me, so I can be free from you. How can I be a witness? How can I evangelize? How can I actually do the Great Commission if I'm not free from you? I'm crippled by fear of man and insecurity. I cannot actually do what I'm called to do. I'm not free from you because I'm not free from me. But if I'm free from me, I'm free from you. And if I'm free from you, I can do what God's called me to do. And when I'm doing what God's called me to do and crisis happens and I don't understand it, that doesn't shake me, doesn't, because my belief structure is set. I know who he is, I know who I am. My truth is not determined by that, so I can continue to love even though my life's not good. That's identity. That's a fact. Those things are true, set in stone. And the greatest thing that comes against that is actually stuff that's been taught to us. Doctrines that we've come up with. So I can still love, and I realize that it's because of God's love for them, that's why I reach out, not my love for them. God will change my heart. He's put such a love in me for people, I almost cannot stand it. It's true. Everywhere I go, I'm just speaking to people. Why? Because there's just something in me 
because I know who they are. Saved and unsaved, I know who they are. And their issues don't affect me. And so I reach out, not because I think I'm anointed. Friends, this stuff will set you free. Please hear me. It's not about how anointed you are. It's about how much God loves them. We had an instant healing last week in the back room before the service started. Someone had these issues and vertigo attacks and they were falling over. We prayed for them, instant healed. And I was there when they prayed. And the prayer was, God, you love them. It's not about, oh, I have this healing anointing. Lord, you love them. It sets you free from all this stuff and trying to come up with something. So I reach out because I have something to give. I owe them an encounter. Because I have Christ in me. And I know who I am. And I know how he loves me. One of the Ganaway girls, they were at our house this week. They're always at our house. And eating our food. We love it. Devin's great. She comes and takes food home. It's wonderful. And one of them said to me, you don't seem to get, why are you not stressed? And they were partly joking, but I used it as a teaching moment. So I said, because I know I am. They were like, oh, Clayton, preaching at us. Friends, why? Because what people think of me is irrelevant. It's not I just, oh, I don't care about you. It's not that. I love you. I love you because I'm set. I know who I am, so I can love you. You cut me off. It's okay. The fight is not flesh and blood. And the church has made it about everybody else. Well, they, but she, but they never, but you don't understand, but they didn't smile, but they did, but he didn't pray, but they didn't want to see me, but, 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 but. Oh man, we've lost the picture. Why? Because we don't know who we are. Doesn't mean we don't get hurt. Yeah, I get hurt, but I know how to deal with it because my identity is not in you. My reputation is not in what you think. But if you're telling me something that I need to hear, it's truth. I can hear it because I'm not thrown, I'm not shaken by the fact that I've still got some issues. Because my identity is in Him. And He brings iron to sharpen iron, and I love you so I can receive it in love. Even if you don't bring it across the right way. Freedom. That's real freedom, friends. I'm free. When you wake up in the morning, you're free. If you choose it. Because if, I said it last week, if people sin against you, causes sin in you, you're not free. Heaven bound, but still bound. Heaven bound, but not free. Identity, big deal. This for me is real freedom, more so than the great anointing, that the greatness, that stuff, you know I love that stuff. I'm Bring the glory cloud, bring the stuff, bring, stick people to the ceiling, God, bring it. Absolutely. Interrupt me. Anytime, God, do whatever you want to do. But this lets people live free. And then all of a sudden, people say there's something different about those people. Because I'm like this to them, but they just love me back. And it's not false, and I can see it's not false. Because they know who they are. So, it's not about you. (laughs) 
So I reach out, I wrote here, so I reach out because I have something to give. I owe them an encounter. Whatever they think of me is irrelevant. I died with Christ. I'm not here for me. It's not about me. And that's the way we're actually called to live. And people, I, I want to give you an encouragement. Everyone says, and I've said it many times myself, I identify with Peter. I just identify with Peter. Why? Because he made all the mistakes. So we like identifying with Peter. But let me ask you, which Peter do you identify with? Pre-cross or post-cross? Because post-cross, I don't see the same Peter. Yeah? That's a different Peter I want to identify with. Jesus, not even Peter, but we identify with Peter before he got saved. Please don't do that. That's not what we aim for. So, what have we discussed? I'm still recapping. Help me, Lord. It's not about you. Your life is not your own. I'm just going to read this. We were created for one thing. One thing, to display, to display the image of God, to multiply His image on the earth. It was that way in the beginning, and it was corrupted. And that's what I said. Shame, sin, fear, death, all that stuff came because it was corrupted. The Bible even said that you have gone throughout the earth profaning my name. Why? Because they did not display His image, they displayed theirs. That false corrupted image that was born under death because of what Adam did. You still with me? Friends, why were we given a body? Because we need to allow this truth to go round and round here. Round and round and round and round and round and round and round. And so that out of our body, it manifests. What's inside comes out. We all know that simple basic truth. You squeeze a tube of toothpaste, toothpaste comes out. What happens when you get squeezed? Because what's inside comes out. But the Bible says Christ is in you. That's who you are. That's your identity. I should stab you and bleed Jesus. That's a fact, friends. So what happens is, so we go around and around. We have a body. Why? Because we're called to manifest what's inside. But if we don't know what the tree is, you know, the, you know them by their fruit. If you don't know our identity, our tree is wrong. Our whole tree is wrong. So we spend our lifetime trying to not go after what we crave, not fulfill our desires because we think that's bad, and, not, and, and then striving and trying so hard and failing, and we think that's the Christian life. The Christian life is change the tree, understand who you are, and the fruit will be good naturally. That's, there is a way to live a victorious life. It's not going to come by someone laying hands on you. That will blow you out of something you're stuck in, maybe for a season, but this will live you, help you to live victoriously. And the anointing and the healing and the power will be as just a byproduct of this stuff. So if we don't know who we are and who God has made us to be, which is to be conformed to His image, we call to display His image, what comes out of us is a twisted, messed up sense of false identity, a bad self-image. That's why we call self-image. And it's clearly evident by our fruit. Why? Because self is at the center. I'm almost finished reading. <laughs> because if self is at the center, we think, oh, it's so wrong because, oh, I'm so wrong because the self is at the center. I wrote you, it's not about that it's wrong, it just means you're living according to a false identity. That's all it means. And I explained this last week, I'm going to explain it again. When you were born physically, you were born under sin, under the penalty of sin under Adam. You were born with emotions that God didn't give you. 
because you're born with sin on the inside. When you got saved, you get born again. God gives you a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit, a new life, a new breath, a new heart of stone, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. We could go on and on. You're born to who you actually are. And so when we live for ourselves, it's not that we're bad because we're not living for God. Well, I'm bad. I'm doing the wrong thing. When you live for yourselves, it's simply that you're exalting and living according to a false identity. Are you tracking with me? I'm recapping a lot of stuff in a very brief amount of time because I'm actually trying to overwhelm your mind. So it can shift the way you think. I wrote here, because the self is at center, it's not because it's wrong or it's bad to have ourselves there. It just means we're living according to a false identity. If we're living for ourselves, what does that mean? We're not free. That's what it means. We're not free. We're free. Jesus has set you free and you will go to heaven, but we're not living free. Heaven bound, but not free. And if you're not living free in this present evil age, Galatians 1, then you cannot live for him. <laughs> and we spend our life trying to fight for every inch, trying to deny all the things we crave, and we think that is the Christian life, not realizing that real freedom is having the desire within us changed. And we know who we are, and the fruit will be good naturally. That is the Christian life. And there's only one path to that, just one. Death. You have to die. It's only one way. And I'm not even talking about beating yourself up and dying. No, you've already died. When you saved, you got saved, you died. We just don't know we died. But you're dead. Dead. Finished. You're, you're dead. And you got born again. All right. So, let's go to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to explain this. Death of an old man as we believe on Jesus and are born again, identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. So, all of a sudden, please hear this, all of a sudden the grace of God is not there to give us the ability to live however we want and remain forgiven. You can use it like that if you want. Please hear that. You can use it like that if you want. It is that powerful. You can use the grace of God to remain forgiven and do whatever you want. It is that powerful. It had to be that powerful for it to be real. But that was not the purpose. Grace comes to you as an instructor, as a teacher, to teach you to live according to who you actually are. And it, re it rewires your mind. And that's how grace comes to you. So, Romans 5 explains this. Let's go to Romans 5. So, what are we doing today? I know that's a lot. I've just thrown a lot at you. But you guys are so awesome. And it's no problem. I just recapped what we went over in the last two <laughs> recapped what we went over in the last two weeks. Why? Because, friends, it's so important. There's such an identity crisis, like that funny little slide I showed you. It's person on drugs, identity crisis. Person screaming at their wife or at their spouse or at their husband, identity crisis. They're looking for in him what they can only find in him. It's an, it's an identity issue. 
Where do you draw your acceptance, your love from? So, Romans 5. Let's go to verse 12. We are born into a world with death. This is what this explains. Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, who's that? Adam. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law was in the world, sin is not, don't worry about that, verse 15. But the free gift, that's eternal life, that's righteousness, is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. Okay? The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Who sinned? Adam. Adam sinned, caused death. You are born under death. I know I've gone over this. I know you know this. But we have to see it from a lens of identity. We have to begin to see who we are unless we go back to the beginning. Why? Because the Bible says that God knew you before you knew you, before creation he knew you. Which means that the God knew you before you were born corrupted. God knew you before you were born under sin. And he knows who you really are. And only he knows. So that when you get saved, he begins to show you. You've been living with a false identity like a person undercover. Showing everyone someone who you're not. I want to set you free to be who you actually are. And only I know who you are because I'm your maker. But you have to understand that you're born a certain way. And now you're born again. That's what Jesus used that. Jesus coined the phrase born again. He was the first one. So, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, shame, guilt, fear, condemnation. But the free gift, say free. Awesome. Free gift, which came from many offenses, all the offenses from the time that the one guy sinned until Christ, came from many offenses, resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense, listen to this, if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, why? Death reigned from the time entered, sin entered the world. Death reigns. Friend, can I just say, it still reigns if you're not saved. Death reigns. There's a prince of the air, the enemy. And death reigns in that space. And everything that comes with death, fear, lying, all the lies in your heart, the demonic, whatever, death reigns because of the sin of the one man. So, but the free gift which came from it resulted in justification, just as if I've never sinned. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace, that's justification, when you get saved, they receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. What did we just read? Very important. We just read this. Romans 5, it says this. When you are born into the world the first time, you are born into a place where death reigns. Yes? When you are born into the world the second time, who reigns? You. Oh, people are like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one man, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, who's that? Who's that? Us, will reign in life through Jesus. We are called to reign in life, to be victorious in life, because we understand what happened at the cross. 
It's not supposed to be a moment that we get saved, heaven bound, but nothing changes. There's no victory. We live in guilt, fear, shame. No. Because of this understanding, the Bible says this is the number one reason that will cause you to reign in life. Because it shows you who you actually are. It reminds you of who you were originally born to be before you were born under Adam. Now you're born again under Christ. That's who you actually are. Now you can reign in life if you just understand what's taken place. And so you come to church and people preach righteousness, 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 and they preach about the gospel and they preach these things. You're like, oh, I know this, I know this. But your life doesn't change, so you don't know it. I read it, I say it again. All we are dying to is the corrupt person who was born under Adam. Let's go to verse Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's what I was saying. You can use it like that if you want, but you shouldn't. Because it just means you haven't understood it. It comes to empower you to live according to who you actually are, according to who Christ says you are. Certainly not. Or how, should we, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Is that past tense or present tense? Past. Have you died to sin? Yes. Okay. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death? Therefore, we, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That's all I've been saying. You were identified with his death when you, 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 you got baptized. Therefore, we were buried with him. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Now, how do you hear that verse? If you hear it through legalism, we're trapped. Oh, I should walk in the newness of life. I should, but I'm not. Friends, let me, I want to make a statement to you, and I, and, and I want it to pierce right through to your conscience. Many people, even those that understand sonship, even those that understand grace, they read the Bible as the Bible trying to fix the old man. The Bible does not speak to the identity, the false identity, the man born under Adam. The Bible doesn't speak to that person. The Bible speaks to the new man. Please hear me. It speaks to the new man. So if you're legalistic and if we're struggling, it's like, well, don't do this and don't do this and don't be an idolater and don't do this and don't do this. We think, oh, I can't do those things. I've got to try not to do those things. I must try not to do those things. That's reading the Bible the wrong way. When the Bible says, do this or don't do this, it's saying, it's not about a list of rules. I'm showing you who you are. I'm showing you who the new man is. Live like this because it's who you are. Yeah? And when you live like this because it's who you are, in actual fact, when you do these things, you're actually acting out of character. Hear me? You're actually acting out of character. So when, will we make mistakes? Yes. Will we mess up? Yes. But when we do that, we have to understand, because so many Christians live with this mindset and this junk in their head about, I'm just going to sin forever. I'm just going to mess up forever. I'm just, you know, it's just we're born in a fallen world. And, you know, well, thank you, Jesus. They are choosing to live out of character of who God says they are. Not, not that God's going to whip them, no. Living out of character who God says they are. When you see who you are, you see that you're empowered to live a whole different way. And when we do stuff, it's not that God's going to whip us. We just realize, Lord, I'm not that person anymore. You haven't even made me like that. I'm not even, that's not even who I am. I'm the, 
And we don't beat ourselves up. Oh God, I did it again. Oh, I did it again. Friends, that's freedom. And you can't be free like that until you understand how to read this. And you can't be freed like that until you understand who he says you are. The Bible, I'm not going to go into it. Please take the time to read it. People shy away from Romans sometimes because it's like intense. But it's the spine of the gospel. I know some of you think I'm crazy. When I started to understand grace, I rewrote books of the Bible. I took thread and I put it all over my room and I put pens in and I put scarlet thread every time there was a verse on freedom and grace and I mean crazy because it so impacted me I see I saw healing I saw people get out of wheelchairs I saw power I saw demons come out I saw stuff some of you have never seen none of that impacted me like the truth none of that changed me none of that lasted like this Because it tells me who I am. And I even tried it out on people. I wish I could explain that to you. I don't have the time. Where I used to get angry at people who used to come for counseling because they were messing up. And then I understood who I am. And I had love born in my heart. And people come to me. It's okay. And you see tears and you see healing. And I'm just telling you who you are. The Bible describes sin in Romans chapter 6, this very chapter. It describes sin as a slave master. It it personifies it. It's not talking about sinning. It describes sin. Let me quickly read it to you. Um, That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who died has been freed from sin. So we read that the wrong way. We're like, oh, I shouldn't be a slave of sin. Oh. What it's saying to you is that you, when you were born under Adam, when you were born physically, you were born into the world, you were born into a corrupt system, and sin as a person stood there with the whip. And the Bible says the power of sin is the law. L-A-W. The power of sin is the law. So you stood there, 1 Corinthians 15, and the, 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 the sin stands over you as you're born into the world with the whip, and that whip is the law. That's what you're born under, friends. And the Bible in the very next chapter describes the law as your husband. This is what Paul's trying to get across to people. So the law is your husband. So you're born into a place with a husband, and the job of the law is to point out what you do wrong. It's to show you where you sin. It will always do it. It always accuses you. It's never wrong. It's only telling you who you actually are because you're not saved yet. So it's like, oh, you did this. Well, yeah, because I have a sin nature. I haven't been born again. Oh, you're failing. Oh, you're doing this. And it whoops you and it whoops you and it whoops you. And you grow up going to church just aware of how bad you are. And the thing whoops you. And you know what's crazy? The Bible describes the law as your husband. And sin, the slave master, is whooping you with this thing and whooping you with the law and whooping you with the law. And it's never wrong and it never dies, the Bible says. It's never going to go away. It never dies, and you're not allowed to divorce it. That's what you're born under. And so Jesus comes along, friends. He did an awful, tricky, cool thing. It's like, well, okay, we have a problem. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come along. I'm going to live a sinless life. I'm going to live perfect. I'm going to do this. I'm going to live righteous unto God. Then I'm going to die. And then I'm going to be raised again. I'm spitting everywhere. Let me step back. And then I'm going to be raised again. Why? So that those who believe in me can be identity, identify, identity, can identify themselves with me through burial, through baptism, or through salvation, be raised again. Why? Because then they've died to that husband, and the marriage to the law and to sin is null and void. And now I am their husband. Isaiah 54, your husband is your maker. Now I am their husband. And the Bible says, in here, it says here, and having been set free from sin, become slaves of righteousness. Oh, people don't like that word, slaves. But now you're slave to righteousness. Meaning what? That your new husband, your maker who is Jesus, he wields something over you. And what is it? Righteousness. So when you make a mistake, you're still right with God, my son. You're still right with God. Man, you have my righteousness. Man, why? This is not who you are. Man, you messed up, but you know what? That's not who you are. That's your old person trying to resurrect. Keep them dead. But that man, this is who you are. That's the gospel. And unless we understand that, deeply rooted, I can say this and you can agree and you can leave here and you can make mistakes and we go back into the same thing. 17 hours of forgiveness, 18 minutes of God, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so, oh. You haven't understood it. And the great thing about our new husband is that he made us, which he knows means he knows you better than you know yourself. And that's why it says we should walk in the newness of life. We are not slaves to sin. That's why it says in Romans 6, reckon yourselves dead to sin. It's a counting term, which means to take into account. Take into account when you wake up in the morning that you died. And that that's not who you are. And because that's not who you are, when you live according to that stuff, you're actually acting out of character. You're violating yourself. And when you violate yourself, righteousness, our new husband will come along. So what happens? We don't feel like we deserve this new husband, so we run back to the old husband like every abused person. Because that's our natural default. I don't deserve this. So we run back to the old husband and let law beat us up. And Jesus weeps and he says, but I've made you new. That's, that's the beginning place of identity. We're not even getting to identity. We're just talking about righteousness. But friends, it's such a weapon. <laughs> it's such a weapon. Why is it such a weapon? Let me explain. When we see this, when we settle this in our hearts... It becomes such a weapon. Why? Because when I, mistakes, when I make mistakes, this is now my response. God, I thank you that I'm forgiven. God, I thank you that I have a new husband. You are my husband. I am righteous. Lord, you wield righteousness over me. I am born again unto life. I have a newness of life. I have the mind of Christ. I'm being changed, Lord. I'm being changed. The Bible says you, you, you take your patience with us. You know that we are just dust. You, you, you help us. You identify with that. Lord, I thank you for who I am. Lord, I, I didn't want to do that. Lord, I'll put right with whoever because my reputation doesn't matter about my reputation because I died, Lord. 
I'm not here to build an earthly reputation. I let go of my earthly reputation to gain a heavenly one when I got saved. God, I thank you that I'm righteous. I thank you that what you've made me. Lord, form your image in me. That's what I'm born for. Form your image in me. Form your image in me. Why, Lord? Because I can't be affected by other people anymore, Lord. They affect me so much. But you've made me free from that. You've freed me from my old man. You've freed me from myself so I can be free from them. Oh, God, fill me with your spirit. You're the lover of my soul. Friends, it's a big deal. Because when you respond like that, when that's your natural reaction, what happens? The attack of the enemy, what happens? The enemy comes to attack you with whatever, with whatever, friends. This is why it's a path to victorious life. The enemy comes to attack you. What does he attack you with? Depression. Oh, Lord, thank you that my value is not coming from my mistakes. You paid the highest price that anything has ever been paid for. My value comes from you. Thank you. When it comes tragedy, oh Lord, my tragedy, tragedy doesn't dictate truth to me. I know you are good. Anxiety, stress, whatever. When attack comes, natural reaction is a response that glorifies who God is, that reminds you of who you are, not forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, I'm so bad, I'm so bad. Because the enemy is like the Hulk. That's the way I see it. The more you fight him, the bigger and greener and stronger he gets. And he's caught you in a trick. And we fight him and we fight him and we fight each other. We fight flesh and blood. When the Bible says sanctification, the process of having the image of God formed in you comes from one thing, truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth, and he wants to tell you who you are. Why? So that when the enemy attacks you, the attack won't necessarily stop immediately. It will stop. There is a place where it will stop. But it doesn't stop immediately because we still have a gentleman, Dan Mola. He describes it as a landing strip in our head. The enemy comes to hover over us. Oh, there's still a landing strip so I can land. And when our reaction starts, that starts to happen, the enemy looks at us and says, hold a second. My attack on them is actually forming them into the image of Christ. But look at how they're responding. An enemy will not allow himself to be used as a tool to fashion and form you into the one he... So he stops. Or because you know who you are. Or because you understand righteousness. Or because you understand who you are. And he did this thing where he said in the plane, will be and eventually it'll go away. It'll stick there for a time. But stand in truth. And if you're allowing tragedy to dictate truth to you, you just vacillate. I was going to go to 2 Timothy. This was supposed to be the intro. Help me, Jesus. So I think we're done. Friends, it's so vital. And I know I almost preached the same thing three weeks in a row because I want you to understand it, because I want you to be free. Really free. Ministry is important. I love ministry. Let's lay hands on you. Let's see you shoot across the room. I've seen that. God's used me for that. I've seen it. I've seen other people. It's awesome. And there's nothing like that place of sensitivity when God whispers words of knowledge in your ear. And, you know, I went to a mall once and I spoke to a lady and God gave me her name, everything about her. 
And that wows them to bring them into the kingdom, but truth keeps them free. Truth will make you free, Jesus said, for you will know the truth. First you have to know it, then the truth makes you free. Friends, if we are convinced, I said this to a person a while ago, I'm not even going to say don't be offended, because if you're offended, it's good, because then it brings up a conversation that you and I have to have, and I can show you who you are and set you free. I said to a friend a while ago, he said to me, yeah, but, you know, this and that, and he started coming with him, all this doctrine and stuff. I said, dude, all your doctrine has made you messed up. Maybe you're wrong, because the Bible says it's truth, and you ain't free. Not arrogance, truth, humility. I go to Starbucks and I see these people in Starbucks or wherever I go. I see broken people, messed up people, some believers, some not. Broken. Don't know who they are. Putting their identity in their body, in their career, living through their children, in their spouse, in their finances, in getting approval and acceptance from all those things. Girls who can't be without a boy, boys who go from one girl to the next because they don't have acceptance and approval, they don't have a stamp on their forehead that says approved, they do, they just don't know it. All the issues come from the same thing. (laughs) Same thing, identity. I go to drugs because I was so rejected as a kid and yeah, you were, but drugs isn't going to help you. It's going to make it way worse. I know, I did them. All coming from the same place. Because we don't know who we are. So we can go to like Timothy and we read, endure hardship as a soldier of Christ. And we think, yeah, endure hardship. Lay it on me, Lord. Beat me with your hardship. I can take it. No, you cannot. You just cannot. It's actually speaking there about living not of the world. It says, because you want to please the one who enlisted you. It's not so much about hardship. It's about know your identity. Because when you have an identity in him, Galatians 1.10, how can you live for Christ if you still live to please man? I live to please the one who enlisted me in his army and gave me my identity and told me who I am so I can live for him. And when I live for him, I'm free from me, which means I'm free from you. When I'm free from you, it means I can evangelize because I don't care if people come at me. Man, I love you. You can come at me all you want. That's fine. Because you don't affect me. I love you. It results in Christians being Christians. And you know what follows after that? Signs, wonders, and miracles. But when you chase the signs, wonders, and miracles, which I have, I know. If this is not straight, it messes people up. It just does. And I love that stuff. That's the result. But it doesn't go by chasing it. It comes by chasing Christ. The hardworking farmer, too, Timothy talks about. I mean, I could go on and on. And all these things are here. And you know what's funny? Jesus, Paul said this, and I'll be done. Paul said, it's in the Bible. People are like, oh gosh, he's opening the Bible. Oh boy, here we go. No, no, just read one scripture. The youth used to come to me and ask me questions. 
and I used to open the Bible, they'd say, no, 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 just answer, just answer my question. Because they know, one week, once we get in here, man. It says here, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Most important word in that verse, of. Came by the revelation of Jesus, not from Jesus, not by Jesus. I saw a person. I met with a person. And when I met with a person, I understood something. Jesus. I encountered Christ. The byproduct of that is I understand the gospel. That's why Paul can get whipped 195 times and not be offended at God. That's why Paul can write to Timothy and say, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. To Timothy, just about to die, just about to get beheaded. Do not be ashamed of the Lord. To testify. Why? Because you have not a spirit of fear. Fear of rejection, fear of hurt. The spirit of fear is the identity of the old person. Everything is built on fear. But now your new man is made up with the spirit of love and of power. That's actually Holy Spirit power, that word. Power and a sound mind. So therefore, just quoting, do not be ashamed. When you understand who you made up to be, you will not be ashamed to testify of the Lord. You will not be ashamed of me, his prisoner, who I am your mentor, Timothy, and I'm living in a contradictory circumstance to the very thing I preach because I'm in prison and I said Jesus comes to set free, but you won't be ashamed of me because you're not afraid of what they think of you. Freedom. Real freedom. Changes the way we read. I've read more of the Bible every time. I've read more of the Bible in the last two weeks that I probably have in six months, and I read a lot. Amen? Friends, I want you to know who you are. I want you to be free.